Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Greetings, listeners. Greetings and salutations. We are on the cusp, the very eve of the 4th of July, my friends. (laughs) We are. For Katie and I, when we're recording it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for some people, there's Christmas in July. You know, the Independence Day is second Christmas for us, really. Yeah. Yes. Where we celebrate the gift of our nation. Absolutely. You know, I'm not super, super patriotic per se. Yeah, you're saying that. I'm patriotic. I love America. I, 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 you know, cancel me all you want. I will cancel you right now. No, for me, it's like, I I feel like, unfortunately, patriotism has become a dirty word. And unfortunately, it is also That's why I'm trying to redeem it. Yeah. I think we should take it back. I think we should. Because if you really love your country, you fight for your country, right? And what are we trying to do if not fight for our country to not be shitty. (laughs) And one of the few things we can agree on as Americans is that this nation, though not exceptional in the xenophobic sense, is unique in the history of the world as a nation that broke away from the chains of tyranny and represents a new kind of society. A society that's flawed, that's imperfect, that's striving towards something that is more representative and democratic with small d. Um, (laughs) You know, and we all love this country. We also accept its flaws and we work to acknowledge them. And we love this country which it did some pretty messed up stuff. You know what I mean? Like we, we embrace the contradiction, which I think is so human and so real. America is not a utopia and it's not the best no. of anything. It's not, it never will be. And there is no, no. best anything. Just drop that but from it, everything. Absolutely. No, there's no, best I'm sorry. Country. I'm That's not a box, thing. No, no, no. I mean, pre- preach bitch. <laughs> 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 everything you're saying is true. And I think we, we have talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's okay to love love your country or feel passionate about your country and cr- and also criticize it heavily. I think that that's a very healthy relationship versus being super nationalistic and weird about it. That yes. your country and we, does no wrong, that it's the greatest fucking country on earth. That's <laughs> no, right. That's right. No. There's a lot of things to not like about our country, but you know, there was a time this country didn't even exist people. Yeah. And it, were it not for some very brave individuals fighting to make this country even exist, we we wouldn't even be having this motherfucking podcast. That's right. The you British and I would, would have had sipping, us killed long tea. ago. Yeah, we'd be <laughs> sipping tea. I'd still be in Ireland, uh, you know, mm-hmm. trying to grow potatoes. Um, so I, I don't a pizzeria. Actually, now I'm kind of <laughs> mad now that we're saying this out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, So the subject of today's podcast is concerning the 4th of July, the anniversary of American independence when the Declaration of Independence was signed, which in itself didn't really happen on the 4th, but for all intents and purposes, happened on the 4th with a big old asterisk. So this story today deals with the expiration, the death of two American presidents in one episode. I... (laughs) This is, um, if you go your whole life, as I did, I didn't know until, like, adulthood Mm -hmm. that they died on the same day. Yeah. And when I found out, I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just perfect. Yes. The morbid date is July 4th, 1826. 50 years to the day after the Declaration of Independence was signed. 
two of America's past presidents and founding fathers, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, died on the same day. Dead, dead on the 4th of July. Dead on Adams the 4th of July. <laughs> as opposed to born on the 4th of July. Yes, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Adams and Jefferson were really the last holdouts, uh, the last survivors of the founding generation, the they American were. revolutionary generation, the political class that brought about this country. And pff, girl, you know, their relationship ran the emotional gamut. It was hot, Oof. it was cold, it was testy, and it was a little bit warm and toasty by the end, all again. They began their professional association together in the Continental Congress, and they mm -hmm. were two parts, arguably the most famous parts, including Benjamin Franklin, of the Declaration Committee, a group of and, delegates. And youngish men. They were... yes. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence when he was 33 years old, and he wrote the Declaration in a sweltering hot Philadelphia house over 17 days from June into early July, 1776. Luke, you and I were drunk in a bar on the corner when I was 33. <laughs> 17 days, I, you know, I finished two things of party mix, uh, six, a couple six packs of beer. <laughs> That's what I can do in about 17 days. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're killing Yeah, feed the cats anyway. 30 times. Great. Okay, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so as you know from the musical 1776, there were other members of the committee, which included um, Robert Livingston, um, Roger Sherman, and Benjamin Franklin. Mm -hmm. So over time, their political ideologies would evolve. And what's happening in America is once the declaration is made and the nation is founded, then the nation starts to move in a direction, in a, a body politic. And there's political parties that are forming that both yes. are alarmed by. And they become bitter rivals, really, for the top job in the government, the president. Yeah. I mean, they're, if you read about them as individuals, they could not be more different in like yes. every way. And Luke, I don't know if you ever read Friends Divided, but it no. is an excellent book. Mm. And it's about the two of them. It's it's dense, you guys. But it really yeah. lays out very well sort of what their lives were like before they met. And then once they came together, and again, like you're talking about, Luke, this ebb and flow of a relationship. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason really why these guys should have been friends at the end no. of the day. They were they kind would of never flung have together each and just had this yeah. kinship, you know? That's right. right. They wouldn't have chose each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so once they had both arisen to the presidency, Adams and then Jefferson, respectively, um, their post-presidency years, things softened as it happens when you get older. You know, spouses mm -hmm. may pass away. You know, you have losses in life that makes you look back fondly on the past. And their final years are marked by a rekindling of a beautiful, long-distance daddy relationship, a friendship, um, which came to yes, a near simultaneous yes. end. Yeah, they were the they were, they became good friends, and they both died on the same day, which was which rocked the country because this was like not only had this page turned from the revolution, but it was the same day. It was the birthday of America. And so it was like wrapped in mythology and their lives were ended by the most important, you know, were ended simultaneously in an anniversary of the thing that was the most important thing they ever did in their lives. And more important mm -hmm. than the presidency, the declaration of independence was the most important thing anyone could ever have participated in, in terms of a changing document and moment in history of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so and I'm when gonna... you look at like those two presidencies, a lot happens under both yes. of them, but neither of those presidencies compared to their work. No, and so you know, like 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 Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, you know, Jefferson had kind of peaked at thirty three, you know, and had to had to top had to top that. How do you top that? Um, so let's go back. Let's turn back the clock. So let's, let's go back fifty years to seventeen seventy five, when the two men met. <laughs> Cue the overture. So there's going to be many 1776 references, which if you remember about 40 episodes ago, we really introduced our love of 1776. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) Are you still listening? Have Are you turned you, yeah. this off yet? <laughs> I'm glad you're still here. Dun, 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 um, So in 1775, the Continental Congress convenes in Philadelphia. John Adams was a delegate from Massachusetts. Thomas Jefferson, a delegate from the state of Virginia. Adams, Virginia. As, as Katie intimates, Adams was fiery, passionate, and polarizing among his peers. He could talk until you died. Um, Obnoxious and disliked. That cannot be denied. Nope. Jefferson, <laughs> however, was genteel, soft-spoken Hot. to the point of being mute, sexy as hell, and mm. contemplative. Well, I identify boy. with Adams because I am a pugnacious, short, fiery, <laughs> indignant rant machine. Um, mm-hmm. And I could never I identify I could with never... Jefferson because I am genteel. <laughs> yes. You Ever love the, the French. Gentleman. You love I the French. Love the French. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you can see where our lines are drawn here, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And Adams was short and squat while Jefferson was tall and elegant. That's what I have written down. I do not have a hot written here. Also me. (laughs) Tall and elegant. (laughs) But also me. Yes, we talked about the woke Opposite 1776 day. as it was described. The recent production of the of the Broadway musical that w- that took the whole male cast and had women cast in the roles. Yes, and Jefferson was gorgeous. The woman playing Jefferson was so beautiful. This gotta be this big red Katie Cordian lip and like the red like hair, and she was pregnant. The oh, actress wow. playing Jefferson was pregnant. She was for Bless real pregnant, her. not like not stage pregnant. Yeah, no. I mean, God bless. So it was like, like that's a lot. You know, the birth, the egg, the egg song now had a whole different <laughs> connotation. Okay, like the egg like belongs to us. Push, push. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just terrible. <laughs> All right. Ooh, okay, back on track. Anyway, turn it back. Turn it back. Okay. Genteel. Yes. Go, go All elegant, genteel. Yes, yes, yes. So in 1776, they worked together on the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson was largely the composer of the document, which articulates with amazing prose the grievances of the American colonies against King George, who they see as a tyrant. While Adams, Jefferson, and others focusing on garnering support for the cause and whipping votes to get people to vote for the Declaration. And in July of 1776, the document was ratified and signed by the Continental Congress. And this happened over a period of several days and mm-hmm. adams who's always kind of like on the pulse of history but like misses it by a second in terms of like momentousness he writes may july 2nd ever be remembered as a day of joy and celebration because that was the day when the document was like largely signed but it didn't actually get ratified until july 4th so he like missed the declaration of the holiday <laughs> adams <laughs> trying so bitch. hard Trying so hard, trying to make Fetch he's, happen. He is yeah. one of the most important 
figures of American history, one of the most important presidents, but not as a president. And he gets no cred. None. When we listened to the presidential podcast, didn't they say he's the only president that doesn't have like an actual, like a founding father who doesn't have some kind of larger library memorial? He doesn't have a monument. He doesn't have a monument. Nothing. He has no monument. Wild because Jefferson. Jefferson was the writer. He was the voice. He was the one fucking railing in that room, screaming at people to listen. Yes. And I mean, and he, were, it was his people. He was a Bostonian, you know, yes. he's a Massachusetts man. And he pulled, you know, kicking and screaming the other delegates to the throat to the finish line. And it yeah. was hard, hard won. And, you know, a lot of words in the declaration were struck, were revised, were changed to soften yes. the views on slavery, to appease to the already fractious and sectional 13 colonies, which portends the future that comes 80 years later with the um, Civil War. Yeah. So it's just fraught, fraught. Um and so they're whipping the votes. In July of 1776, the document is signed, and now all 13 colonies are vaulting themselves into an irreversible conflict with the mother country of Great Britain. Terrifying. Terrifying. Very scary. Now, during the American Revolution, both men served as what they called minister plenipotentiary, which means ambassador, to another country. Mm-hmm. So um, Jefferson works in France largely, and Adams works in the court of St. James in the UK and Britain. And this is portrayed beautifully in the John Adams HBO series. So much so. Can I also just say how, how great it is that these two guys <laughs> commit, quote unquote, treason and just fucking are like, all right, bye. Good luck with this. <laughs> We're tapping out. We're going to go chill in a freaking mansion for a couple of years. Y'all have fun figuring this shit out with the Articles of Confederation or whatever. Goodbye. Like, because yeah. we forget so often that there's a huge gap from 76 to the end of the war, 83. And then Washington isn't elected president until in 1789. So what happens in between? The Articles of Confederation. And there's like 12 presidents who are in charge of the articles, the Confederacy yeah. of, the, of the American States, like Samuel Huntington, all these like nobodies who you never hear about. And so yeah. this pantheon gets a lot bigger, you know, a lot going on. It's we 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 oversimplify, you know, starting in, in our school days, Fourth of July, we declare our independence. All right, that doesn't really mean anything until we yeah. win the war. But then it's then it's almost like and then George Washington became president and everything was great. And then they made a constitution and that was that, and that's our country. And it's like, no, the amount of toiling yeah. that went on to figure out what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, how we do did we it. do this? Yeah. How do we do this? Do we do? There is no fucking blueprint no. that exists. No. So yeah, no. wild time. And so it you is. have it's... these two guys who are who are gone for the war and they're sort of overseas at this point. And, and uh, Adams kind of hops, right? He does, he does France. He does Holland. Holland. Netherlands. Yeah. 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 He does Holland when in the, in the show he gets very sick and it's very scary. Yes. And he's like all alone in a foreign country. And Adams has no interest in like speaking other languages, being reverent of cultures. Like, even though he's like a, he, even though he's like a Northeast, like kind of haughty bitch, like he's also very like America. Like, where's the hamburger? Like, he's very much like, yeah. what is this country? I don't want to be here. Whereas Jefferson, he's... the Southerner, is actually really into it. He loves oh, the French, yeah. which how many Virginians today who own large plantations or own, or own large farms love the French? Okay. Our identity has shifted. Zero. 
I would say zero. Well, he was such a he was a francophile always. He was. That he was. And he went and and this is really like talking about these men are so different. Adams was so much a practical person mm-hmm. and grew up in the grittiness of Massachusetts and had a very different life. Thomas Jefferson grew up in this gentility of Privilege. the South. I mean, really, yeah, like just living the best life. So, yeah, he loved foreign languages and mm-hmm. art and all of these things that Adams and slavery it just culturally wasn't part of his upbringing, you know? So, him going to Europe wasn't like this exciting win. He was not super happy, I think. Yeah. He's also he irascible. He's irascible. He's like, I yeah. want action. I want this. I want this. Yes. I want this. And now he has to be in diplomacy, which is like a completely and different game. Him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the show, it's like, it's some of the best episodes of the show is when they're abroad, the John Adams show. Oh, HBO. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, Ben Franklin, Tom Wilkinson is murdering it as like this self-proclaimed <laughs> American rustic with the beaver hat. He learns French. So he's like, he's stooping some French, French, you know, aristocrat. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's got the powder. He's got the food. He's like dealing and he's like trying to teach Adams like how to do this. Parlez-vous Francais. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love the way he he's your talent. Yeah. Yeah. And Adams just biffs it constantly, you know, offending everybody, just, you know, can't get out of his own way. Um, so he it's is, a really You're right, Luke. He's so American. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> and it's the mo- the really fun part is when he meets the king, who's played by one of the evil gays from the White oh. Lotus. <laughs> oh my God. That actor is so good. The face he makes when he leaves the room and it's just like, oh yeah, right. King George is crazy. <laughs> It's like a statue. Yeah. No, it's insane. (laughs) So coming back to America, in 1789, G-dubs, George Washington becomes the first American president, the king of America, and Adams was chosen as his vice president. So Adams is the first vice president in the history of the country. And Jefferson becomes the first secretary of state. Jefferson has a genius for international affairs, so it really makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And Adams, it's sort of like... Not much is known in the early days of like what the vice president is, but Adams being vice president shows you that he had a sort of, you know, second status. Like he was like, you know, the first the first mate to Washington in terms of like the eyes of the public. Um, Mm -hmm. And but is it is it true, Luke, um, that even then, though, the vice president, they never really took the time to make it a real job. Is that would you say that's accurate? No, it is. Adams. (laughs) Adams bristled against the confines of his new position, of course, and he was roasted on the daily by the Senate, which is the body over which he presided. The vice president is also the president of the Senate, as Kamala Harris is right now. And he says to his wife, Abigail, which those letters are gold in terms of historical record, my country has, in its wisdom, contrived for me the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. So he hates this job. He (laughs) hates it so much. Because he's, again, he is meant to show up every day and do his work, but he has no real effect on what happens. He can cast a tie-breaking vote. He can pound the gavel, but he really has no, nothing to do in, in in the Senate. And the vice president at the point was not articulated, didn't have a real role federally. And that role yeah. has really been made by, you know, powerful individuals who have taken on that role for themselves. Dick Cheney, even Vice President Joe Biden, 
created their but own. Dick kind Cheney's of- are so few and far between. They are. Like it they really are. most most no, vice presidents. No one knows give who them the- a leash. Yeah. Yeah. No one knows who the. Why fuck would I, as president, share power are? with you, butthead? You know. Yeah. Especially if, like, I'm young and healthy, you're inconsequential, dude. Right. Like, bye. And that in- and that inconsistency is is relevant because, like, you've got Cheney who is like imperial vice president. You've got yes. Biden who's kind of like a. He's like a jovial, avuncular president who's kind of there to like soften, you know, because Obama was black and like you have a white man there and like they had a very Mm -hmm. like chummy relationship. Whereas Kamala Harris is back to the general VP of invisible, never seen, inconsequential, arguably. She hasn't done anything. If she is, it's all in secret. We have no idea. I am. She hasn't told me. It's shocking. (laughs) It's a. I'm very. Yeah, I have concerns. Anyway, so. <laughs> I have um, thoughts. I have thoughts, but that's not germane to the conversation. So, um, not right now. Jefferson is going through his own thing when he's in mm. the first ca- first cabinet with Washington. He, as we know, is hating Rufus Sewell, aka Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> in the show. Um, Hamilton is a can federalist. We just, yes. Well, can we just take a pause, pause. here? Pause. I fucking hate Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. And let me tell you what, all you fucking nerds who are obsessed with Hamilton, you sure. don't know that man. He no. was the worst. The worst. The musical makes him seem so fucking great and so cool. He was not Lin-Manuel Miranda. He was a federalist. He was not. He's the reason why this country is a capitalist fucking nightmare. He's the guy. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, when I was, you know, coming up in high school and college, Alexander Hamilton was the hero of the neocons. He was the hero of the conservative movement because he was an unsung hero who wanted a central bank. He wanted, you know, certain kinds of power in the federal government, power of the purse. And you're absolutely right, Katie. The capitalist culture through which we live is the child of Hamilton. Um, And... We've He's seen the reason we have national debt. We yes. Ha- there was no debt till him. Huge debt. By the time <laughs> Adams gets in office, huge debt. And um, this also happens to a lot of these figures. Like I, for a time, this is part of this podcast, I worked at the Noah Webster House in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So the Webster's Dictionary, the Blueback Speller, he's like a very big you know, hero of language. When I worked mm-hmm. there, the museum had just gone through a major renovation and their visitor center you know, tried to recast Webster in a different light. And as is the trend in the last 20 years, all of a sudden, all of these guys from 1780 to 1830 were secret abolitionists. Oh, yeah. When in many (laughs) cases, the abolition feelings they had were either not so simple to say they were anti-slavery or or, or pro-slavery based on human ethics but it was also something else deriving from it like the federalists wanted black people to be freed because they had alliances with with people of color and they wanted the votes votes more than anything yeah and so similarly we saw the same kind of you know second look at hamilton and that's been going on for a number of years you know when the park service his house was moved to a new spot in um hamilton heights of course in upper manhattan Mm -hmm. and that coincided almost amazingly with Lin-Manuel Miranda's show, which, you know, is an interesting take because Lin-Manuel Miranda is Puerto Rican and he identifies with Hamilton as an immigrant from the island of Nevis. But Hamilton did nothing 
to mm-hmm. to uphold or he would do everything he could to assimilate. Yeah. You know, and he's just a, a byproduct of colonialism anyway. He's a white person who's who was a poor person in colonialism, a victim, sure. but w- wanting to cast himself and make himself into a, a sort of, you know, regular American white figure, you know, a, a man of invention. Yeah. So it's tough. You know, the show is so it's so good. It's so stirring. It's so emotional. It's got so many catchy songs. It's look around, look around. <laughs> and the Lin-Manuel Miranda show hates on Adam's heart. And it makes me very angry. <laughs> and it also it also makes Jefferson like the Jefferson "What Did I Miss" song yeah. pisses me off. Oh my god! So much. I love that Is for it you. Really? Oh my god! When I watched that, you, I wish you could have seen my eyes like narrow, and just my lips get all tight and pursed like you. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> and listen. Plenty of things Jefferson was about are indefensible, but sure. that was fucked up and rude. <laughs> rude. Very rude. rude. Um, so uh, Jefferson and Hamilton, as portrayed in the musical, did not get along. <laughs> um, Jefferson clashed with Hamilton's federalist policies, expanding central government. He was against it, being a Southern planter yes. and a Virginia man. Um, Jefferson wanted a pure, you know, democracy where the power democracy. rests with the people over a federal authority or yeah. authority. And we've talked we about mentioned. this authority. We talked about this before that when we're looking at the history of political parties in this country, Jeffersonian democracy is really what we think of as a Democrat. Yes. It's, it's about, you know, smaller, smaller power, or a Republican no centralized today. power. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's what democracy. See, I'm even getting it wrong. It's confusing. That's what de- Democrats were up until pretty much FDR. That, yes. So Jefferson and then really the Dixiecrats in that. that whole episode. Yeah. So um, it is a southern. It is a southern child essentially. Yes. It comes from a southerner. Yes. And Jefferson is the founder of what's called the Democratic Republican Party, which is very confusing too for us today. Because <laughs> oh that- my god, the amount of parties, you guys, the Federalists, the Whigs, the yeah. Democrats, the Democratic Republicans. And that's and this- we're not even getting to the bull moose bullshit. <laughs> oh god. And some of this stuff makes 2020, 2016 look like child's play, where you know, these Federalists and Democratic Republicans sometimes put 10 or 12 guys up for the ticket and like let them it's- battle it out. Nuts. Yeah. Early and voting voting are, was so different back then too. Oh my god. Early politics are wild. And you know, everyone's like, oh, people run such dirty campaigns. Motherfucker, if you've never looked into the way they talked about each other then, they it has never been nice. Politics no. have never been nice in this country. <laughs> no. Vicious. No, they haven't. Vicious. And, you know, the way we do it is different, but, you know, it's a it's a dirty game. So Adams was the the VP under Washington for two terms. And so he's like the heir presumptive, you know, Um, of course. But in 1796, Adams and Jefferson were facing off for the presidency. Jefferson ran against Adams. Yeah, because Jefferson knew that they did not want the same things for the government. So he was not going to support his buddy there. And this is a turning point because we are going from Washington, the, the first king of America, to whoever comes next. And this is a big moment. Who is going to take the reins? So, it's Mr. President and, o- yeah. and only Mr. And President. O- and nothing more. 
And nothing more. And nothing okay. more. Okay. I just wet my pants, David Morse. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. Yeah. Is it his excellency? Sorry. Is it his divine person? What shall we call so, the president? So if you guys don't know what we're talking about in the John Adams miniseries, again, because John Adams doesn't have an actual job as vice president, he's creating things for him to do by making bored. people debate what should we call the president. So he's like, His Excellency, his Your Majesty is too royal. (laughs) (laughs) And so eventually Washington's like, It's Mr. President. And nothing more. Through the teeth. (laughs) Through the teeth. Through the fake teeth. So 1796 (laughs) election goes down. Adams is barely elected by like one electoral vote squeaking by, which is like already a bad sign. And the Adams presidency is one term. He's a one term wonder after the King of America. Only one term, it's which we know is not presidency. good. It's not you, a good presidency. Jimmy Carter, not good. Like, he, you know, and he is on the brink of war, basically, that's right. for his presidency. Like, it, he is just trying to make people happy. They've got bullshit with England again. They've got bullshit with France coming up. It's that's a right. mess. He's got a rough, he's got a rough fucking presidency. And he does some shady shit at the end of his presidency. He does. It's sloppy as hell. And this kind of goes to what a lot of people in scholarship would say is that Adams was an amazing orator. He was an amazing political thinker, but he was not a good like pragmatist. He couldn't really work well with people. He was so blinded by dogma, ideology, and philosophy. And he was so bad with people. Like we said, he was tough. He was difficult. He's like screaming. He's like, why don't you see like, what the fuck I'm talking about Montesquieu and, you know, John Locke and y'all are just sitting on your asses you know so he was a tough cookie not everyone is just because you are hyper intelligent have incredible ideas have the ability to express those ideas and people are interested in what you have to say it doesn't make you a good leader it doesn't make people want to listen to you because you can have a great idea but if you're conveying it to me like a fucking asshole i don't care he's basically the the century mansplainer he kind of is. <laughs> Allow me to disavow you of your preconceived notions, sir. About the, <laughs> just don't, channeling don't, Giamatti. Don't don't talk to me like that. Don't talk. Stop. <laughs> and also, like what I love about the show and depictions of America this time is that the colonies were all like little countries, and they were they little. T- ba- they refer they were, to them as their countries. Yes, I want to go were, back to my country. Meaning Virginia. <laughs> right. And different cultures. And um, there's so much scholarship on that, which is fascinating about the cultural. But also, if we're honest, has that really changed? Every state really is its own culture. And we're all very proud of that fact. You know? Yes. So that, those roots go far back, you guys, if you're not I would aware recommend of the fact. book American Nations by Colin Woodward, which breaks down the, mm. like, he has 12 different country he, countries he identifies in, in the North American continent. I that love includes, that. I've never that read includes, that, but I've heard of it. It's so good. Um, I have to read that, yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, Katie, during the Adams presidency, France and England are at war as a result of the yes. French Revolution. And so now America is still a baby country, but the question is, who are we going to support in this conflict? Mm-hmm. Are we going to be like a B team for Britain? Because we were just their besties for hundreds of years, even though we just kicked their ass at Yorktown. Or are we going to support the French, who we 
are more aligned with politically because they're anti-monarchist. They've just kicked out their own king. Um, they and of also course, saved our asses. <laughs> correct. We do owe them one, at least. Yeah. Thanks, Lafayette. So <laughs> Adams is caught in the middle. And he wants to preserve Washington's policies at all costs, do what Washington did. And of course, Washington was neutral. And Washington's, you know, the the protests about France and England were really ratcheting up at the end of his presidency. And he's like, I'm out. I have this is time. I know to what it go. is to be unpopular. I have learned, Mr. Adams. Mm-hmm. And so just you can see it all in my mind. Um and the Democratic Republicans under Jefferson, they wanted, they they loved the overthrow of the French king. They're like red blooded, like ready for more revolution. Let's sweep oh, yeah. through all of Europe. Right. They don't see any difference here between no. what we did and what they are doing at all. They Correct. don't care about the diplomacy. They're all still very yeah. Fuck England. Who cares? Fuck the yes. monarchy. Which is so funny because like a lot of these Southern Democrats are like so aristocratic. <laughs> Yes, they are. They're all part of a ruling class, which the irony is deep. Right. And you're also enslaving people. You are the king of your plantation. (laughs) So Adam's one Adam's one term is just defined by this crisis. He really cannot transcend it. And that gets to his like blind spot with international affairs that just really dominates him. And Adams tries to broker a peace with a commission, um, and this fails to appease the offended French, who already are pissed because Jefferson didn't win the election. Is that the XYZ affair? It is the XYZ affair. Yeah. (laughs) So Jefferson- AP history. Come on with it. Come on, Teapot Dome, Scantron, Bubble Sheet, Tammany Hall. Uh, Let's keep going. Um, So- Jefferson is being a real son of a bitch right now, and he is actively undermining his boss and rival while being his vice president. Because when Adams was elected, um, Jefferson became vice president. And that's the only time it's ever happened where the rival opponent became the vice president. So that was a weird thing. And that was it didn't work. Um, And so it sounds like a good idea in theory, because then you have both parties. It sounds very Democratic there. Mm-hmm. It does, but I, I could see uh, if the vice president had more power, it would make sense, but but they don't. Yeah, so they tried it in 1796, fighting. and they tried it again in uh, the West Wing. <laughs> and um, that just shows you how it's <laughs> fantasy. It's fantasy. It doesn't really work. Yeah. yeah. So Jefferson is back-channeling with his like French contacts, all his old booze in Paris, mm-hmm. and he is predicting, he says Adams will be a one-term president. And he never writes anything down, but he confides and like talks in like shades. <laughs> and <laughs> talk about shades. Jefferson he's describes he's terrible. Jefferson describes Adam as Adams as vain, suspicious, and stubborn. Ooh. Mm-mm. He says worse worse than that. He does. Yeah, that's the nice thing he said about him. So <laughs> that's some of the nicer stuff. Uh, towards the last two years of his presidency, Adams is pressured to sign into law the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798. Yeah, which were signed as a way to stamp out anti-American thought that had already been brewing at the time. So basically, if you spoke out against the president or spoke out against the government, you could go to jail. Um, if you it's were so a French, bad. if you were a French national from Canada or from France, you had to all of a sudden go through all kinds of different, you know, citizenship requirements and like all this bullshit. So this is very it like right wingy sounding stuff. It sets a terrible precedent in this country for, you know, the Xenophobia. Chinese yeah, the Chinese Exclusion Acts and things like that. I mean, it's really, it's a sad moment. And it, and really, uh, unfortunately for Adams, his 
his president ta- his presidency takes away so much from the good works he had done prior because yes. his presidency is such a shit show. Yes. And this, for I think, for Jefferson is really the point of no return because now he sees the liberty yeah. and freedoms that he had helped to enshrine are under assault and that this country is yeah. already on the wrong foot um, so early in its life. So yeah. again... Adams and Jefferson compete in the election of 1800, which is by far at that time the most bitter, competitive campaign full of personal attacks, mostly nasty. from Jefferson on Adams. Nasty, nasty shit that gets said. It's and really bad. You would never Adams, know these people had been friends. No, and Adams felt personally betrayed because at the at the end of the day, he is a very sensitive baby. Adams. He is. The loudest voice in the room is usually the biggest bitch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I identify with that. So I do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and you. And you. And uh, you. I want to hit it hard. Um, multiple Sally Field references. All the um, Sally Field roles. Always S. Sally Field. Identify Sally Field. So Adams, of course, <laughs> loses in 1800. And sadly, um, his son Charles, who was an alcoholic, dies in November of 1800. And so Adams so is just sad. personally distraught. You know, he gave up really relationships with his children for his career. For what? And he feels like he's going to be just in the dustbin of history, a big nothing. He leaves Washington like the day or the day before Adams' inauguration. And he is only one of five outgoing presidents who did not attend their successor's inauguration, which I did not know. Yeah, that's really bad. It's a big shade. Yeah. So the Jefferson presidency is – yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Luke. Did you ever look up because they they portrayed it on the show? But I was always I was always curious if Adams actually left the White House, like just basically on the equivalent of a public bus at the time, where he's like riding in that omnibus, that streetcar, like Abigail. just yeah, with just like a bunch of other dudes. <laughs> and I like... think I think it was a very like inglorious departure. Un- and yeah, I think... unceremonious. Bye bye. Yeah. Don't let the yeah. door hit you on the way out. Yeah, and I think that is meant to portray that. Whether what what kind of conveyance he took, I don't know. But yeah, I, I have to look that up. I'm curious. That's a good if that one. Was real. Um, yeah, it's a good I want to look. I want to read um, David McCullough's John Adams again. Now I'm inspired to do that. Um, because yeah, that's such a dense, detailed monograph. Um, oh, so yeah. the Jefferson presidency is two terms. He's very successful, 1801 to 1809. Mm-hmm. Um, he cuts down the national debt. He creates all kinds of universities and learning centers. He conducts the Louisiana Purchase, like doubling the size of the country, Lewis and Clark He's expedition. Lewis and Clark, he does a lot. He does a lot of nation building. A lot of nation building. Yes. And really restores a lot of international favor and, you know, kind of interest in the American idea. He manifests that destiny, yo. With all its problematicness, <laughs> yes. Um, so, and all it ma- took was him calling John Adams a hermaphrodite. <laughs> oh my God! You left Horrible. that diss out. Horrible. He tell he he writes in a paper that he that John Adams is hermaphroditical. Yes, and I think that yeah, that's. Oh, shit. It's, it's bitter. Tough. It's so that, mean. Uh, that American yeah. masculinity is is there. Well, what's sad about all that is he is a better president. He just oh is. yeah, he's a better he chief executive. Yeah, Jefferson was an executive 
in his life. Like he was like the king of his Monticello manor. So he was, he knew facts and figures and balancing budgets and shit. And like he, that was his, he had a mind for business. It suited him better. Yeah. And he knew he was the smartest guy in the room. So he's like, great. Now I'm the number, I'm the top dog. No bullshit. No Hamilton. Fuck you. Yeah. He also could make slave owners happy. (laughs) He certainly could. No controversy over that. You know, certainly could. He's not some northern Bostonian fucking lawyer right. asshole. Pre-industrial guy. <laughs> person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the post-presidencies of both men are interesting. We're not going to go too deep into that. But basically, yeah. now that when they were both post-president, you know, there were people in their lives who wanted them to reconnect. Enter one of our friends and dear mm. heroes, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who of course is the ancestor of Stockton Rush, the CEO of the Ocean Gate Company, who's which is wild, but whatever. Yes. So I love Benjamin Rush as a historical figure. He is incredible. Also, John Dossett, who played Benjamin Rush in the John Adams miniseries. I got to work with him on a project once. The most lovely man I've ever known. Hey, Jim, he's very cute. I don't know if you're listening. He's the cutest and a lovely guy. And I hope you're doing well, John. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) You're definitely not listening to this. (laughs) We can dream. That's just wishful thinking. So Dr. (laughs) Benjamin Rush is like, guys, you guys, you guys should like totally wake up. Like, like, (laughs) like, Thomas really misses you. You know, John talks about you all the time. Why don't you guys like, Mm. you know, talk? Just just hook up. Just like, I don't know. See what he's he's doing. You know, are you up? So, um, of course, Adam's. (laughs) Adams to me, (laughs) Adams to me, Adams to me wins the century because Adams reaches out first. Absolutely. Be the bigger person. It never is going to hurt you to make that call. That's right. Do it. And at the end of the day, Adams is like the lowly second president non-celebrity figure. He's like, well, I must reach out to Mr. Jefferson. So in 1812, Adams writes... I that you can't not be Paul Giamatti. No, it's all it is. Yeah, I cannot not... I can't decouple him from John Adams. Yeah. That's amazing. It is very bad history. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hall. And I I am here for it. Yes. Um, so in 1812, Adams wishes Jefferson a happy new year and many happy returns. Mm. And Jefferson sends him a warm letter back and thus begins an incredible correspondence over the next 14 years. It. Over that's 14 all you years. Do. That's it. Just reach out, you know. Send a little text that says, Hey, happy birthday. It's hard. It's so hard to be the first person to do the DM or write the AIM yeah. message. But once you do it, you open the door. Okay. Um, so for 14 years, the two men would exchange 150 letters. Now, Miss Cordian. Incredible. Miss Cordian Mead, you're yes. being tested. There Ooh. are hundred there are 158 letters. Mm. Who wrote more letters? I would assume it would be Thomas Jefferson because he is the writer of the two. But am I right? Keep going. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, but I get the distinction, the, the impression that um, the loss of Abigail in John Adams's life was so profound that he needed, he required the companionship more. He needed the friend more. And we know that Adams was a Am very, I right? You, you are correct that Adams wrote more. So Adams <laughs> wrote 109 letters. And, uh, and the 158? 
And Jefferson wrote about half that 49 letters. That tells you a lot. That tells you a lot. Jefferson's like hard to get. He's like, no, whatever. You know, Adam's like, well, I'm going to keep writing. And no matter what you do, I'll keep writing. And, you know, he also he was a great writer with his wife, Abigail. So you're right. That kind of like fulfilled a communication line in his life. Um, And she was his dear. He wrote in every letter to her, my dearest friend. And her death left an extraordinary absence in his life. So how I could imagine when you lose your spouse of so many years, Mm -hmm. it does make you want to reach into your past and find other people that you've loved dearly. So it, it makes sense to me that he made the first move. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He engaged just in the same yeah. way that, you know, the, the story goes is that Adams recruited Jefferson for the committee and that Jefferson right. is retiring. He's like not interested. He's taking a back seat. And, you know, the same yeah. thing is true of the vice presidency. Like like Jefferson was Adams was all over the, the Senate, like trying to rail them and curtail them. Jefferson's like, yeah, go ahead. Debate. I'm good. I'm gonna sit here and smoke a pipe. You know, like he was just like chilling. <laughs> so um, at multiple times from the beginning of the correspondence. Adams tried to turn the conversation political and Jefferson oh. always shot it down. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, Adams is like, when I do want to talk about this, this, and this, and, and Jefferson's so, like, ah. such a fucking scut. he can't let it go. He can't let it go. He's like, but in what my, about 1800? But what am- in my native tongue of Brooklynese, he's a fucking scutch. He can't. He is a scutch. He's a yeah. He can't. Yeah. No. He can't help himself. So Jefferson says no in his elegant way. He says, nothing new can be added by you or me to what has been said by others or will be said in every age. Very historically minded. And these are not young men at this point. No, no. You know, and 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 appropriately at their age, they are retired from politics because, ladies and gentlemen, when one reaches a certain age in life, You don't really, you really shouldn't be in politics because you're not going to be there for the shit that happens next. That's right. So old men stop running. Let the new generation get into it. Exactly. So Adams makes another, Adams makes another attempt and he says, I think this is so great. He says, you and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. Yeah. And Jefferson still says no. He declines to engage on any of these topics. Adams accepts this. And he turns the correspondence to other matters, including philosophy, religion, and their daily habits, which I would love to do a little readers yes. theater with you. And we, <laughs> we have this selected two readings. We've, <laughs> se- we've selected two readings from Jefferson and Adams correspondence. Um, a in the reading role according of, to Thomas Jefferson and John oh, Adams. <laughs> that's right. From the first book of the Epistle of Founding Fathers. So in the role of Thomas Jefferson, we have Katie Cordian Mead. In the role of John Adams, we have Mr. Luke Gerard Boyd. And so Katie. <laughs> well, if we're doing that, then it's Catherine A. Mead. Catherine. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. Let me. All right, I got to update the playbill. Okay, I'm sorry. So thank you. Um, so Katie, you're going to read first, and we're going to read excerpts, small pieces, folks, of two letters, and it's part of the correspondence. The first letter is from Thomas Jefferson to John Adams, from January 21st, 1812. 
A letter from you calls up recollections very dear to my mind. It carries me back to the times when, beset with difficulties and dangers, we were fellow laborers in the same cause, struggling for what is most valuable to man, his right of self-government. Laboring always at the same oar with some wave ever ahead threatening to overwhelm us and yet passing harmless under our bark. We knew not how we rode through the storm with heart and hand and made a happy port. But whither is senile garrulity leading me? Into politics of which I have taken final leave. I think little of them and say less. I have given up newspapers in exchange for Tacitus and Thucydides, for Newton and Euclid, and I find myself much happier. Sometimes, indeed, I look back to former occurrences in remembrance of our old friends and fellow laborers who have fallen before us. Of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, I see now living not more than half a dozen on your side of the Potomac, and on this side, myself alone. You and I have been wonderfully spared, and myself with remarkable health and a considerable activity of body and mind. I am on a horseback three or four hours of every day, visit three or four times a year a possession I have 90 miles distant, performing the winter journey on horseback. I walk little, however, a single mile being too much for me, and I live in the midst of my grandchildren, one of whom has lately promoted me to be a great-grandfather. And Adam's response from February 3rd, 1812. Your memoranda of the past, your sense of the present, and prospect for the future seem to be well-founded, as far as I see. But the latter, i.e. the prospect of the future, will depend on the union. And how is that union to be preserved? Concordia re pave crescent, discordia maxime dilabuntur. The union is still to me an object of as much anxiety as ever independence was. To this, I have sacrificed my popularity in New England. And yet, what treatment do I still receive from the Randolphs and Sheffies of Virginia? By the way, are these are not these Eastern Shore men? My synecdotal loquacity has more than retaliated your senile garrulity. I walk every fair day, sometimes three or four miles. Ride now and then, but very rarely more than 10 or 15 miles. I have the start of you in age by at least 10 years, but you are advanced to the rank of great-grandfather before me. It's Amazing. So cute. They're just so talking. sweet. Just yeah. chatting about how much they walk. I mean, I love that, like counting steps. But also, I, mean, I love that Adams is so deeply concerned with the preservation of the union. Like mm-hmm. these two men, like for all their faults in every which way, these are men who genuinely cared about the country in a very real way. And you, I mean, this is before politics are a career, you know, we what take I mean? it for granted. Now we take our union. We for really granted. do. Well, pol- I mean, po- a political career is a thing where you can be in politics for your entire life. You know, this, this is not that this is truly a service 
to your country yes. and being concerned about your country and not doing it for the power, the prestige, whatever. I mean, it's a little bit of that. Certainly, I mean, you know, Adams had a very healthy ego on him, but yeah. it's it's not just about the the wanting to be important, but the real passion for the country. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that these men shared at the core of them, despite how different they were, that is there. Yes. And something that is, of course, absent from their 19, now 19th century sensibility is they shield each other from a lot of the big shit going on in each other's lives. Jefferson oh, yeah. is broke. He is thousands of dollars in debt he's building more houses he has this massive property he can barely support himself and his his children um and adams you know his wife passes as you mentioned in i believe 1818 um yeah. his son jqa becomes president in 1824 but his other living son thomas is following the footsteps of his his deceased son Charles, also an alcoholic, um, and so both men suffered greatly and had complicated lives. Um, and they and they don't yeah. present that to each other because that's the that's the the spirit of the age, is to dwell not on the negative. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yes. So by 1826, 50 years after the Declaration, Jefferson is 83, Adams is 90. So there's seven years between the two men. Yes. And we're going to do this in order. So we're going to talk about Jefferson first. So Jefferson suffers from rheumatism and urinary digestive issues later in life. You get a sense of the fact he doesn't walk that much, which of course would throw him in a whale. Your... <laughs> the whale cure is coming. Uh, would inflame all those things. So during the last hours of his life, uh, Jefferson was accompanied by his family and his uh, friends at his home in Monticello in Virginia. And Jefferson dies at 12.50 p.m. Uh, on July 4th, 1826. He was invited to a party in Washington the day before. He declined, um, you know, uh, and in the moments before his death, as depicted in the HBO miniseries, um, Jefferson uh, said, is it the fourth or this is the fourth? Um, so he was kind of spinning, you know, uh, mentally a little yeah. bit. And he also refused laudanum which was a, a very powerful painkiller we know. Um, and so there's yeah. some interesting questions around his refusal of laudanum. Um, and John Adams dies later in the day, around five or six o'clock in the afternoon. And he doesn't know that Jefferson has already died because news doesn't travel that mm -hmm. fast. And so he mm -hmm. apparently says to someone nearby him in his deathbed, Thomas Jefferson survives. Although he had no idea that Adam, that that Jefferson was already dead, and so we believe that John Adams died of a heart attack. Um, and it seems like his health was mm -hmm. like pretty darn good, like just spurred on I by mean, indignation an and old guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ninety, but he doesn't seem to have a lot of the morbidities that Jefferson had. Jefferson just seemed to be in worse mm -mm. health technically. Um, I may perhaps that was the the stress of his current situations. You know. Oh, for sure. That could play a role. I think so. That's a thing. And yeah, um, shortly after Jefferson died, um, attendants found a gold locket and a chain around his neck. And it, a locket he had worn for 40 years containing a small locket of his uh, late wife Martha's brown hair, which mm. you know speaks to the mourning culture. We talked about hair wreaths and all of that ages ago. Mm -hmm. 
And so this news is it rocks the country because it's so dramatic. It's so poetic. Um, and it's hard for us to see, you know, is it a coincidence? Is, is this something else? Um, Daniel Webster, one of the Massachusetts politicians of the age, you know, Mark remarks on this striking and extraordinary coincidence. Um, and this happy termination happening so neatly, you know, it suggests something deeper. You know, it's very, it, we're just awestruck by the drama, you know. So some people have yeah, thought. it's crazy. It, yeah, people have thought, was it planned? You know, and, you know, so I think stupid. it's, I sort of subscribe to like the notebook theory that the two men were really hanging on. And I think they both measured success as if the country makes it 50 years, it'll make it the rest of the way. And, and so I think that makes sense. I, yeah. I could subscribe to that theory too. Yeah. You no, know, it's the same way that people who have terminal illnesses, you know, they might hang they might they might hang on for a loved one or for an anniversary, or if their child is graduating college, you know, hang on until mm -hmm. Johnny makes it through. And so there's some research that suggests that does happen. And there's a will to live, and that that will retreats once they got to that momentous anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There were there were many eulogies given to both men, and uh, there was a eulogy for Jefferson given in New York later in July, uh, 1826. A man named Churchill mm. Camberling said, the body had wasted away, but the energies of a powerful mind struggling with expiring nature kept the vital spark alive till the meridian sun shone on our 50th anniversary, then content to die. The illustrious Jefferson gave to the world his last declaration. Very, oh, very sentimental. God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and you, you may remember our buddy John Tyler, one of the later presidents. He fuck that guy. He described. He said that Jefferson had an often expressed desire to die on the Fourth of July. Don't know that. You are making things up again, John Tyler. Don't do that. Shithead. <laughs> John Tyler, stop. All right, you're irrelevant. Cut stop trying to be relevant. Cut it out stop right it. now. Stop it. Um, and then you in a letter, a man, Confederate a man, a, piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. So in a in a letter, a man named John Randolph um, of Roanoke, Virginia, said that John Adams' death was euthanasia. And he said, they have killed Mr. Jefferson, too, on the same day. But I don't believe it. Oh, stop it. So, like, there's a it's lot like of... Bitch. <laughs> Can we just imagine them for a second just sounding like all these women from Steel Magnolias just being like, well, I'll tell you right now what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, put put some, they put some sleep. poison in the sweet tea. That's what killed Mr. Any Jefferson. sweet tea, okay. <laughs> And it would be years before revelations about Jefferson and Sally Hemings would come out. But, you know, the show HBO shows us Sally Hemings in the room when Jeff Jefferson when he dies. And it's very powerful. Um, yeah. And it's often forgotten, too, that the fifth president, James Monroe, died five years later on July 4th, 1831. He did. And that was also he seen did. as like, oh, this like big death day for presidents. Like it's always going to take a take a toll like July 4th, like this deadly holiday. Mm -hmm. Um but you know, the passage of time last year, for those of you who've been with us this long, that's that's my grandmother died on the 4th of July last that's year. Right. So I, you know, major historical figure. <laughs> that's right. And I remember you were Half so 
you were so moved by that. that I felt like it was, it was for me. That yeah. rhyming. Yeah. That, yeah. that echoing. That's so special. Um, yeah, for me, it is. So, you know, Katie and I have had the opportunity to, to, to visit the places of our heroes and the history landscapes yes. of our, that are special to us. I have never been to Monticello. Me neither, Lukey. I know that's a failing on that's our That's an part. opportunity. We need to that's do that. an opportunity. That's a, um, that's more than an opportunity. That's a must. That's a must. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's an opportunity for us to you know do a show or something, um, a traveling show. But I have oh, been yes. to Peacefield. I've been to John Adams' home. Oh, in you Boston. have. Oh, I'm oh, so jealous. I've never dude. taken the time. It's great. When I lived in Boston area, I like did everything. So yeah, you um, were close enough where you could do it regularly. Yeah, and I would like, like, yeah, I would like, I would take, I would like bike to the train and like take the train. And I was on yeah. National Park. It was an every time park, I go so. to Boston, yeah, every time I go to Boston, I'm with someone who has never been there before. So mm -hmm. doing like extra side quests Quincy like Market. that, yeah. just yeah, it's yeah, it's Ancient. always that. Cheers. Yeah. Shit, yeah. You know? <laughs> this hanging out on site, Boston Common. The Adams National Historical Park is awesome. It has Peacefield, the house where he died, you know, the amazing farmstead. And then uh, I believe John Quincy Adams built a like Victorian Gothic, like little stone library building, which for Yay. all intents and purposes was the first presidential library. It's not an, it's not an official National Archives presidential library, but it is the. Because we know that that title goes to Lucretia Garfield. Thank you. Don't get it twisted. I'm trying to be reverential so here. Say that you exactly. Just live you know, live, laugh, live, Lucretia. laugh, and Lucretia. <laughs> but so you see the library, you see the house. It's completely full of artifacts. It's so cool. Um, and what's really interesting is that we're coming on the cusp of the bicentennial of La of Marquis de Lafayette's triumphant world um, American tour, in which he visited America in twenty in um, eighteen twenty four, eighteen twenty five, and what what. Calendar, are you following that you know shit like that? This is actually my job. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Because we are planning for the bicentennial. Okay, get this. The next few years are going to be lit. So we are planning for the semi quincentennial of the United States 2026, 250 of, of declaration. Yes, that is a word. I'm sorry, the semi quincentennial? Doesn't just roll off the tongue. Oh. Okay, go on. <laughs> it's semi-interesting, okay? So that's the 250th. I might care. <laughs> so that 250th is coming up in 2026. The okay. bicentennial of Lafayette's tour is 2024-2025. Then, New York State, then. the bicentennial of the uh, abolition of slavery in New York State is 2027. So oh, I mean, that's a cool if one. If you're visiting cool. a historic house museum in the next three years... They should be talking about or stressing out about one or three or all of these anniversaries because um, they're it's all gonna be it's going to be French. <laughs> hell. So um, so what I, I mentioned that not just because I want to show you I know things, but because um, Lafayette visited Adams and Jefferson during his tour. That's amazing. That's so cool. Of isn't he did. It? Yeah. Of course separately. He did. And apparently when Lafayette visited Jefferson, um, you know, Jefferson uh, Lafayette's like Jefferson and 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 Jefferson is like stumbling towards Lafayette Lafayette and they like they like fall in, into each other collapsing and crying and it's like this momentous reunion That's um, super cute and when he visited Adams he really enjoyed Peacefield he commented on the the order and manner and presentation of his house now again this is 1824 25 
Adams is 88. And I was going to say, they're not they're young men. They're ancient. They are crusty. And like, you know, just like, they're so happy to see Lafayette. It's this amazing. They could have died that day too. <laughs> That's so cute. It's I'm so really happy cute. for them. <laughs> so I'm hoping to see a dramatic interpretation of these moments in America in the next few if, years. If nothing else, you and I can do it. <laughs> Correct. We'll be there. So yeah. um, in terms of where you can go, Monticello in Virginia is the place to experience Thomas Jefferson. You can go to his house. You can see the things he made. You can see the slave quarters where the people who are enslaved on his property lived. You can explore yes. the complexity of this man's life. Um, and Monticello, and yeah. Uh, sorry, Luke. Just really quick, I want to. I want it to be known. Monticello has done some extraordinary work in recent years to be so open and uh, and aware of the awful history of Monticello. And because there, once upon a time, you would go to Monticello, and it's just about its grandeur as a plantation and the home of yes. Jefferson, and like skirting the slavery thing not not talking about it but like they really make a strong commitment to education around the enslaved peoples who lived on the property and they do an extraordinary job really like hats off to them it's impressive yes and they have created the like monticello association which is a group dedicated yes. to descendants of uh, enslaved people Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of these folks still around, of course, today. And yeah, Monticello has led the charge in terms of the historic houses revising their view of enslavement. Um, they have, and yeah. uh, you know, it should be commended for that. And it's it is like it is like a it is part of like the holy land of American like sites in terms yeah. of the, the founding. It's very big. And Peacefield in Boston, highly recommend. Um, Boston's a treasure trove. You know, you got the Kennedys, you got the Adamses, you got all these dynasties. All oh, yeah. Each other. So um, those are two places. You can definitely check out um, excerpts of letters online. There's dramatic readings. And of course, the John Adams um, HBO miniseries by name and title, promotes one man of this story in terms of the central figure and tries very hard and succeeds in my argument to redeem John Adams. And all of that comes on the tales of David McCullough's seminal work, John Adams. Absolutely succeeds. I agree as well. And, the, and also um, go to Philadelphia, you guys, that is where <laughs> that's their meet cute. <laughs> that's, that's how they became besties. Go to independence hall. Absolutely. Go to independence hall. Yeah. You got it. How could you be an American and not go to Philadelphia? Come on. That's right. And maybe you're listening to this on the 4th of July or July 5th, you know, but it's never, it's, there's never a bad time to take a visit to one of these mm -hmm. special places. So, I mean, it, the um, lines are probably pretty bad on the 4th of July. <laughs> you know, they keep rejudging that damn visitor center at Independence Hall. It's like, a cattle call. Really? You know, I've been I went, yeah, I went years. there two years ago. It was totally different. And it's still crazy, but they've managed. It's very much like queued. It's like the oh, Disney fied. You know, you're queuing. It was a shit show. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. And like there was the a bell year is I in, went like, to go see the Liberty Bell and it was awful. There was no way I was going in there. Yeah, it's like tough. The hundreds of people. Yeah. That's I find so Independence space. Hall to be so powerful in itself. The bell. Way more than the bell. I don't need the bell. Who cares about the bell? bell? The, the bell's, bell's a relic. Important. It's our bellic. It's not even okay? important. No. It's a bellic. <laughs> it's the Good quintessential relic. And Independence Hall is powerful. It's it's tight. It it's claustrophobic. It's steeped in history. And um, go in the summer when you know how fucking hot it was. And they're having right. these fights. 
about yes. this shit. <laughs> in 12 pounds of clothing and frummery. And <gasps> all that Wear yeah. a winter coat and a That's hat right. and then go That's stand right. in there. <laughs> yep. Um, so that really wraps up the discussion. Uh, Katie, did you have any final thoughts? Oh, I'm so glad you did this. Luke texted me earlier this morning and told me he was doing it. And I literally gasped out loud alone <laughs> in my house. <laughs> like a full. <gasps> yeah. You had to press your life alert because you fell down and couldn't get up. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I needed to be, I needed to get a defibrillator. It was a whole thing. That's right. I'm okay now. I used my inhaler, but it was so exciting because it's just. Obviously, it's morbid. We're focusing on their death in this yeah. story. Um, and these two individuals are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but important for the the birth of this country. It sounds cheesy, but really, they are fucking midwives <laughs> to this <Yeah>. country. <laughs> midwives to and an egg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't deny their their importance and i really loved ever since i first began to dig deeper into their relationship and them as individual human beings it's just a, a topic that is endlessly fascinating to me i love learning about these mythical men as men as yes. actual human beings they're far more interesting when you're like, oh, he's kind of a dick or, whoa, that dude was racist. Like, I want to know that stuff. I don't need you to be a face on Mount Rushmore. I need you to be a person, you know, for yes. me anyway. So thank you for covering this because anytime we can humanize these people who can be reduced to foot, not footnotes, they're not reduced to footnotes, reduced to sort of just relics in and of themselves, you know? Yes. It, where it's just, they're just a name attached to a great moment. And they, there, there's, you can't mess with that legacy. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you can, it doesn't have to be this or that. It can be this and Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence and cared very much about all of these amazing things that move this country forward. And he owned slaves slave owner, and yeah. had racist ideas and was a bad friend for a while. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's all about poking holes in that facade, you know, and yeah. revealing the humanity because we look at these examples and we think, wow, you know, that kind of greatness, you know, I could never, one could never. And like these people were human as the rest of us they weren't supermen yes um and they had frailties and 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 fragile and you know that makes them all the more miraculous but it also makes them all the more accessible so um yeah take some time to examine the marble that is our history and look for the cracks in the marble and exploit the fissures oh, yes. in in the stone um because that's where the humanity is so thanks for joining us on is. this adventure yeah Thank you, Luke, for leading us on this adventure. <laughs> it was my pleasure.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you listen. Please follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Reach out to us on email at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. And please consider becoming a more buddy today. Support us on Patreon. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside The Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.